Can you can you hear me? With mic? Okay. <laughs> um, so hello everyone. It's so good to be here today. Thank you all for coming. Um, my name is Anna Ramirez, and I'm one of the visual development artists uh, who worked on Coco. And I heard that you all might be interested in learning a little bit more about the film that we made. So some background on me. Um, I was born and raised in Mexico. Growing up, I wanted to play music, but I wasn't very good. Um, so during uh, my last year of high school, my mom suggested I took a drawing class. Um, and I didn't really want to go because like, I wanted to be a musician. And I guess like my mom knew that I wasn't very disciplined and that I didn't work very hard on like learning my instrument and like I didn't really enjoy going to classes that much, but like I just liked the idea of it. So um, yeah, one day, uh, the second semester of my last year of high school, my mom was like, hey, they just opened this art school and I heard that it's really good. Do you, you know, you should go like take a drawing class or something, like maybe you'll like it and maybe you should explore other options before you decide which college you want to go to. Um, but I didn't really want to, because I just like, I don't know, I thought they were like trying to force me to do something I didn't want to do. Um, so after a lot of negotiating, she convinced me to go take this drawing class. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> um, so I went and I really enjoyed it and, um, and I loved it and I ended up signing up for like the rest of the trimester for like drawing classes in this watercolor class that was really cool. Um, so after that, my sister had a friend who at the time was going to CalArts and he was on his third year of school. And she's like, my friend Alonso is going to the school, which is, you know, the school of Disney. Um, and he's really enjoying it, and you should talk to him if you want. Um, you know, if you want to learn more about what he's doing, I don't really know what like what he's doing for school. And at this time, like animation was not, you know, like a very common uh, thing to go to school for. Uh, not a lot of schools, especially in Mexico, offered animation. Um, so it was like kind of hard because it was hard to explain to people like what I wanted to do. But anyway, after that, I saw Alonso's portfolio, and it was really cool, and I loved it. And like, he had these like witches on his portfolio, and like a lot of sketches that he did for his uh, film that year, and they were really cool. And then he's like, "Oh, there's no math because it's an art school." So I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Woo! Yeah!" So like, that's what sold it to me. But I was like, "I really want to go to this school. It seems awesome." And I didn't really know anything else about it other than like I would make films and get to draw. So. Um, you know, I kept researching about it and like I found all these blogs from uh, people who were going to the school and started like, you know, looking at their websites and, and watching their films and I loved it more and more. So after a few months I applied uh, to both character and experimental animation, but I didn't get in because like I had only been drawing for like six months at that point or less. So um, I didn't know what to do and my parents were like trying to kind of like pressuring me a little bit to like do something with my life and they're like you're not just gonna take a year off and not do anything like you have to you know keep going so I was like okay and then uh, two of my friends were going to France to go to school there and surprisingly school in Europe and specifically in France is like really affordable it's very cool so then um, I went to school there and I was going to art school and I did this program my first year which is like foundation year and they uh, offered a lot of like architecture classes and like product design um, and you know art history but my favorite was just like sketching it was just called design class and then illustration 
So that's when I was like, yeah, this is like what I want, what I want to do. Like I want to design for animation. So I started working on my portfolio again, and like I just kept drawing from life and like going out and like draw like all the buildings that I could and draw people and like draw my friends all the time and as much as I could. So, oh, woo, nah. Okay, <laughs> so then, um, so, but you know, then I was like, I still want to go to CalArts and I was really happy in France and like my friends were there, but I knew that's not really what I wanted. So I kind of, you know, worked on my portfolio. I went back to Mexico and I told my parents like, I want to try to get into the school and if I don't get in this time, I'll go to another school. But you know, inside my head, I was like, sure, like I'll, I'm gonna keep trying, like no matter what. Um, but that was just because they were like, we're not gonna like keep paying for like education that you don't want, you know, like you're not gonna do anything with. So I was like, okay, okay. So you know, I went home and then applied, and I just like waited very anxiously for like the next six months, and then um, I got in to to experimental animation. So I was like really happy, and that's me on graduation day, one of them, and the other one was my first day of school. <laughs> I was so excited to be there, and um, so yeah, I was very happy, but I still like didn't really know what I was gonna do there, and there was this like pressure that of course like everyone who was at this school for animation had been drawing for years, and they were all like better than me, and I was like, this is so sad. <laughs> like, how am I gonna get to that level? But I, I'm like. Maybe they made a mistake, but you know, somehow I was like, okay, I'm here and I have to like work hard. Um, so at CalArts, we have this thing called Portfolio Day, which is a day when all the animation students put their work out in the main gallery and people from the industry come and take a look at our work and you know, sometimes give people like jobs and internships and stuff. Um, so I had never gotten any internships at this point or like any callbacks in the past two years. Um, and my mom happened to be visiting uh, LA at the time and she was staying with me. So we both got up around 7.30 a.m. to like put my portfolio in like this long table where everyone puts their work on. Um, and then we went home and like I was taking a nap when like my friend called me and she's like, oh my God, your name's on the Pixar list. And I'm like, are you sure it's me? And she's like, yeah, it's your name and it's your last name. You should come like look at it. You have an interview at blah, blah, blah time. And then I was like, oh my God. And then I like ran to school cause I didn't have a car and my mom was with me, so she ran with me to school too. <laughs> uh, and then um, I got there, and to my surprise, it was Harley Jessup who was doing the interviews, who's uh, he production designed James and the Giant Peach, and he also uh, production designed Ratatouille, and like he's won Oscars for lighting in like live action films and stuff. So I was like super starstruck, starstruck, super starstruck. <laughs> and then he was, uh, yeah, he was like so nice and like excited, and that's the list. And they spelled my name wrong, so I was like, maybe it's not me. I don't know, but you know, I was just so happy to be on it. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> that, that's my name if you. <laughs> um, so, my mom likes sending me this photo every once in a while, and she's like, remember this? And I'm like, yeah, mom, I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, I talked to Harley, and he's like, we really like your work, and we're very excited for it. Like, it seems like you like drawing from other cultures. And I did because at the time I had this portfolio and like all my ideas on my portfolio, like I think I made it like a tour around the world and I had drawings from like these five different countries uh, and I just did a lot of sketches and development on it, like characters and like props and sets and stuff for each of those countries. So he's like, that's really cool. We're work working on this project that's like 
you know, about another culture and we've never done this before and like you might be really good for it. And I was like, awesome, yeah, I would love to. Um, so then I got an internship that year. They called me back after a month and they're like, yeah, we want to give you the internship. And I was so happy and I was put on Coco. So that's the first time I learned anything about it. And I had no idea that it was like based in Mexico, you know, because from my conversation with Harley, like no one ever mentioned that to me. And he didn't even ask me if I was Mexican or where I was from. So there were just a lot of surprises, you know, like that, like, oh yeah, Mexican. And then they were, uh, you know, they, w they traveled to Guanajuato and uh, Mexico City and Oaxaca and like a lot of, you know, these like cities in Mexico. Um, and I'm from, Guan from Guanajuato, so I saw like their photos, their reference photos, and I was like, oh, I'm from Guanajuato too. And they're like, really? That's so weird. Uh, but that was really cool. So, you know, I was really happy for those three months. I tried to network as much as I could, and I would, you know, pick people's brains and ask them, like, to get coffee, and I would, like, ask them about, like, how they got to Pixar and um, about their jobs and stuff like that. So it was great because I made a lot of friends and I got a lot of contacts that were later really valuable. Um, so after my internship was over, I went back to school for a year, and then I graduated. And then I tried getting back, like going back to Pixar, but they wouldn't, you know, they weren't hiring at the time. So they're like, just keep in touch, you know, like maybe one day. And I was like, okay. So I was on a student visa at the time and I was very stressed out because I needed to find a job within a year. Um, so during that year, you know, I applied to so many jobs and so many jobs rejected me. I applied to like a lot of shows on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and like Fox and stuff and like, I think maybe like 30 jobs and like they all said no. So I was like starting to lose faith and I was kind of sad, like maybe I'm not meant to do this because a lot of my friends were getting hired and like doing cool stuff and I just like wasn't able to land anything. And then, you know, one of my friends recommended me on this show at Fox and I got a job there and I enjoyed it for three months or so, but then I, you know, I it wasn't for me, so I'm like, well, I spent so long looking for a job, but now I'm not happy, and like this is maybe not what I want to do, so I quit. And that was a big decision for me to do, because like it's really scary, and like I knew I, like my parents were done like supporting me, so I'm like, I'm gonna have to use all my savings <laughs> this month, and until I find something else. Um, so, thankfully, um, I applied to DreamWorks that same month, and then I got a job freelancing, and they're like you know, potentially we want to hire you full time, but we just want to kind of like see how you work and how we get along. So we got along great and everyone was so nice, but I guess like I wasn't doing a very good job because I they wanted me to do sets and I love doing it, but for TV it's very different than feature because, you know, that's like what you do is going to be on, s on the screen and it's very, very fast paced and I don't work very good like at that fast of a pace because like, I like taking my time to do research and like really like draw what I want to draw. So I was like taking too long and like not doing great in perspective. So um, I didn't get hired full time. So I waited another month and I kept working on my portfolio this whole time and like on my films and stuff. And then I got a call from Google and then uh, they offered me the Google Doodle job. And I was like, yes, I want to do this. So I did it for three months remotely and we were like starting to have a conversation about me like moving to the Bay Area to work there full time. Uh, but you know, this whole time I kept emailing people at Pixar like every couple months or so 
and just like update them like this is what I've done and like this is like my new whatever work that I did this month. <laughs> um, so I got a call from them and they're like, oh, we just assumed you were so busy. Uh, I'm so glad you reached out and like we've been thinking about you. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've been so busy, <laughs> you have no idea. And then they're like, oh, we didn't know if you would want to like take a job with us. And I was like, oh, let me think about it. <laughs> like, of course. Uh, so, you know, I was there within two weeks and like I said yes immediately and like I would have moved there faster. So I was just like so happy to um, to go back. So I got back to Pixar and there I was, nervous and excited. Uh, and I still am. Uh, so I've been working at Pixar for almost three years as part of the art department. Um, so honestly, I feel like the main reason why I wanted to go back to Pixar was because I really needed to be part of this project because Coco is a film that's just so close to my heart and like I really wanted to make my country proud and I wanted to contribute by doing something that would just show you know, how beautiful Mexico is and the culture. And like I feel like we're often so misrepresented on the big screen and you know, on TV that like I was excited to be on a project that wanted to showcase our traditions and the people in our towns in like a really beautiful and positive way. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Coco now. So as many of you may already know, the Día de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, is a Mexican celebration that takes over, that takes place over two days at the beginning of November. Um, and the structure with the candles is called an altar, and all the objects on it are called an ofrenda, which means offering. Um, so typically on Day of the Dead, uh, people build, people in Mexico build these altars to honor their loved ones uh, who have passed away and decorated with things that they loved in life. You know, so they put their photograph on these altars and uh, decorate it with things. You know, any objects that they love, like perfume or food or you know any object, shoes, clothing. Um, so from a visual perspective, there's a lot of richness and beauty to the Día de los Muertos that evokes intrigue and emotion. Um, but even more powerful than the images is the spirit of the celebration. So the more our team researched Dia de los Muertos and how it's celebrated, the more we all found ourselves deeply affected in a really emotional way. Um, and there was just so much to learn about the holiday because the culture is just so rich and people celebrate it so differently in like different states in Mexico. Um, so we were all learning a lot of new things every day. And the, our department was incredibly diligent about the research. Um, so Harley Jessup, you know, the production designer, just really wanted to make sure that everything was accurate and true to life uh, to make Coco, Coco as authentic as possible. So at Pixar, research is vitally important. Um, it takes the longest, but once we do it, the work just goes so much faster. So I personally love it because I feel like I'm constantly learning new things that I otherwise would never know. Um, and the crew who were on the film earlier on had to travel to Mexico for deeper education and inspiration to see uh, firsthand you know, how Dia de los Muertos is celebrated all over the country. And as a result, uh, these trips influence every part of Coco's production, from story to music to design to the way that we're lighting the film. Um, and as a student, no one really told me how important research, research is when working on a film. And had I known, I think my portfolio would have been a lot stronger and better. Um, so research is vital because it will inform everything we'll, we will design from like character to props to costume design, sets, lighting, you know, everything. Everything is research, uh, no matter what, you know, what subject the film is about. Research is always key. So all of our research into the, into the traditions and the culture combined with the great heart that we've put into this, into the story of this film has resulted into something that we're very excited about. So 
um, yeah, my family and friends just saw it in Mexico this past week, and they were all very happy, and like everyone has loved it down there. So I hope everyone loves it here too. Um, so today I'm honored to show you some of uh, the clips from the film and give you an early look at the film. So to start off, I want to show you the opening of the film. And I was wondering, can we dim the lights? If, okay, awesome. Thank you. I'm like, yeah.
So um, here are some of the designs that I made for the prologue, the opening of the film. Um, and it was super fun to get to work on something so stylized. And I was very lucky to get to work directly with Tom Gately and Adrian Moline and Harley to do very flat uh, 2D work of this nature. So these are just some examples of the backgrounds. I did them all in Photoshop with Lasso Tool. Um, and the animation was all completely done in 2D for the whole opening. Um, so prior to that, um, I made these propelled Picado designs. Um, and these were made for the teaser. So we were still trying to figure um, how we wanted to do the opening back here, back then. So um, these were actually done in 3D. And the challenge here was to figure out a way uh, for the characters to move across the frame without affecting the grid and the background design. Um, but you know, thankfully, our animators and the technical departments are awesome. So together, we were able to figure it out. But um, in the end, we thought 2D would be better for the actual film. Um, so here are a few more that I did for the end title sequence. Um, and these are a little bit more loose and organic. And I did this with uh, pencil and colored them in Photoshop with a custom brush. So I had a lot of fun doing these. Um, so our main character is Miguel. And he's a 12-year-old boy who dreams of one day becoming a very good musician. Um, and he's so cute. I love his design and like his little dimples. So Miguel lives in a small town called Santa Cecilia with his large extended family. His mom, his dad, his cousins, his uncles. Um, so I got to say, I love when people reach out to me after they watch the film in Mexico and say things like, hey, this looks just like my cousin, or this looks just like my uncle. Like, the guy with the purple shirt was inspired by one of my uncles, and I totally forgot about it. So when the film came out, he texted me, and he said, I see how it is. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> he, like, totally knew that it was based on him. Um, so this is Miguel, uh, mama's, uh, Miguel's mom, his mama. Uh, and for her design, I did about 10 variations. Um, for her final costume, uh, we ended up choosing three out of those 10 and then just going for the one on the far right. Um, so you know, for costume design, like for the costume design of this film, we like really wanted to like pull directly from life. Um, this is Gloria and the key reference that I used for her. So the shirt that she's wearing is a traditional Mexican shirt with Otomi embroidery. And you know, Otomi people are a small Mexican indigenous community in the south of Mexico who do very beautiful embroidery work, uh, like the examples above. So for us, it was very important to like, you know, have reference that we took from those trips in Mexico. You know, every time we designed anything, like we couldn't just make things up because we really wanted to be respectful and like accurate. Um, so it's very important for us, like for the older characters, we wanted to have them wear more traditional Mexican clothing, but for the more modern and younger characters, we wanted them to wear, you know, like modern clothing, like jeans and t-shirts and, you know, skirts, but still embrace those uh, Mexican patterns and colors that are so, you know, specific to Mexican culture. Um, and this is some of the work that I did for Mama Coco Shading, and I designed her pattern inspired by also traditional Mexican embroidery. And as you can see, you know, at Pixar, everything is dream, uh, teamwork. So someone will do a pass on the character, someone else will refine it, someone else will do the shading and the color, the texture. So at the end, everything that we do is always a collaboration. Um, and this is Miguel's grandmother, his abuelita. And this is an early test that the animators made. So funny story is like when 
uh, the animators showed this for the first time in review. They did about three or four variations of her, and they always do this for every character. And uh, Lee somehow became obsessed with the way that her arm jiggled. And one of these like tests showed how her like skin on her arm went around her arm like four times. And it just like wrapped around. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. We should do that. <laughs> They're like, no. So they ended up doing that for Dante's tongue instead, which was really funny. Um, and this is Mama Coco, for whom the movie is named. Uh, and she's Miguel's 90-something-year-old great-grandmother. And um, as you saw in the opening, her memory is not what it used to be. Um, she often doesn't recognize her own daughter and a lot of the other family members. But I really love her design because I feel like she's so different from all the other characters that we have ever designed. Um, and this is Dante, a local street dog that has adopted Miguel. Uh, and he's a Cholo, the national dog of Mexico, short for Cholo Esquintle. Um, and you know, they're a, they're a nearly hairless breed. And I recently went to a museum in Mexico City called Dolores Olmedo, where they have a lot of wild Cholos running around the gardens. Um, and I took this video there. And this was like after we designed Dante, but he looks just like him. He's like <laughs> just hanging out by the statue. And like, you know, Cholos Quintles have an alpha. So there was like this group of Cholos surrounding this super, you know, muscular Cholos Quintle. But this was, this was the only one that was just like living his own life and just like enjoying it. Um, so in our research, we learned that Cholo dogs tend to lose their teeth. And as a result, they have trouble keeping their tongues in their mouths. And we thought it was a fun detail that we could embrace in the film. So he's practically had, his dog has, I mean, his tongue has practically become a character of its own. <laughs> um, so Miguel dreams of becoming a musician despite his family's uh, rule banning music. So he secretly practices guitar in a hidden attic where he's created a miniature ofrenda to his idol Ernesto de la Cruz. So in this next clip, we see how Miguel has learned how to play guitar so well.
Miguel is conflicted because he's determined to seize his moment and play music, but he doesn't want to upset his family. Um, but his fortune changes on Dia de los Muertos when he stumbles upon a long hidden secret in one of the photos perched on his family's ofrenda. So this is some of the concept art that I did as an intern back in 2013. And like, I kind of cringe when I look at it now. I'm like, no. Uh, but you know, I, I was so happy that I got to work on this so early on. Seems like forever ago. Um, so the photo that Miguel discovers falls uh, to the ground and breaks, revealing a folded away portion that shows his great great grandfather holding a very familiar skull guitar, which is the which is the same one uh, on all of Ernesto de Cruz's albums. So Miguel realizes that his great great grandfather is actually the one and only Ernesto de la Cruz. Woo! So. Overjoyed and so happy by this revelation, he throws caution to the wind and announces to his family that he's going to be a musician, um, just like Ernesto de la Cruz. And to prove it, he's going to enter uh, the talent show in the plaza. And um, I actually got to work a lot and do a lot of work on this plaza. Um, we just like wanted to like dress it in a way that feels really authentic and it wasn't you know shallow and just like superficial. So we tried to like embrace like all the details that you like see in Mexico on Day of the Dead. So like vehicles that would like transport the marigold flowers and you know things like a juice stand that's like so specific to Mexico. Like some like old auntie will just like have this like table outside her house and make juice <laughs> and churros. And you know we wanted to like really embrace these like very specific details about uh, Day of the Dead in Mexico. Um, so. Abuelita doesn't want Miguel to be a musician because mu music has been banned in the family for generations. So she's very concerned for him, and out of concern, she smashes his beloved handmade guitar. So distraught, you know, Miguel face, uh, races off into the night, ultimately heading to De La Cruz's mausoleum in the town cemetery where the musician's famous skull hangs over his tomb. And his plan is to borrow his great-great-grandfather's guitar so he can play in the town talent show and prove to his family that he's meant to be a musician. But taking the guitar triggers something a little unexpected. So let's watch that.
So Miguel realizes that he can see all uh, the ancestors that have returned to visit their families, and they can see him too. Um, so the ancestors pour into the living world via the magnificent uh, marigold bridge, and it's made out of marigold flower petals, and it takes Miguel into the land of the dead, which is an expansive, fantastical world whose scope barely exceeds anything Miguel has ever seen. So I think the amount of work and research that went into each individual petal is crazy. Sempesuchil uh, is also called the Aztec Marigold, and it's the official flower for Day of the Dead. Um, and they are thought to attract the spirits home. So for this, Harley, the production designer, photographed a ton of different kinds of marigold petals and studied them very thoroughly to find the design that was the most appealing and worked the best for the film. Uh, but this is just to prove like how much like research goes into like each individual thing, like as small as it may seem. Um, and these early tests show a world that's constantly under construction. So the towers represent layers of, of history from Aztec pyramids at their base to more modern architecture at the top, and they're all interconnected by trolley cars and gondolas. So this is a piece of concept art that I did as an exploration, you know, of how to make the world of the dead seem more vibrant and colorful. Um, and I was very lucky to have been raised and born in Mexico because the world of the dead was very heavily influenced by it, which made me super happy. So I missed the last research trip by a few months, uh, but the stars truly aligned for me because uh, I know this town inside out. You know, like the traditions and the cool spots and the culture. And although it was still very challenging, I feel like I learned a lot about my, you know, even though I knew like so much about the, the, the city, I still, you know, it was still challenging and I learned to I got to learn a lot about my country and my culture, um, and you know, just because Mexico is so culturally rich and every state you go is so different. Um, so on this uh, set that I just showed you, um, it was the most challenging for me also because I had never worked with scale. So as a student uh, taking visual development classes and stuff, like we were never aware of scale and we never thought about scale. and. I didn't really work in 3D a lot, so you know I didn't really know that I had to design, you know, in a world that had everything had to make sense. So uh, working on sets, I learned about that, and it was very hard because I thought I would never use math, but turned out I had to. <laughs> um, and then also Harley Jessup really wanted me to work on, you know, designs for for this uh, for this set, and I had to do a lot of graphic design, which I had never done before. He was very encouraging about it, but I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I didn't go to school for this. Like, how, I don't want to, like, accidentally use Comic Sans or something. <laughs> but he was very nice about it, and he's like, no, just, like, look, you know, study, like, the typography in Mexico and just kind of try to recreate that. So I did, and I tried to come up with names that were names that most people would understand, even if they didn't speak Spanish. So these are some examples of the very early, you know, beginning stages of the typography research that I did for those designs. Um, so yeah, the land of the living is very vibrant and colorful. I did a lot of, uh, you know, design for it, and every object was designed specifically for this world, like some um, world of the dead trees, and I also did these during my internship. Um, so this was a part of a mural project that I was given, and I made a lot of skeleton-themed paintings to put on walls as street uh, murals in the world of the dead. 
and this is what they look like in context. So this is a painting of one of her sets in the murals in context that we did for previous. Um, so there's a lot of very cool architecture in the world. Um, and we're incorporating all kinds of amazing design elements to make the locations look unique. Um, and I did, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I tried to incorporate skull and decorative motifs as much as I could. Um, and it's also a very Mexican detail. Like working on these assignments, you know, I just started paying so much more attention to how intricate and designy everything is in Mexico and how much history there is behind all the architecture and even just, you know, the little details. And, you know, where I come from is a Spanish colonial town with a lot of French influence. So there's this like crazy melange of styles of, you know, European design and Mexican folk, and it's very colorful and very beautiful. And these are, these are some more examples that I did for like this world. And it's all hand painted uh, with acrylic on illustration board. And you know, um, for this, it, this was also part of that like graphic design project that I did because we wanted to model these designs and make turn them into tiles. Um, so my intention was to recreate Talavera, which is a name of very specific kind of Mexican pottery, which is mostly decorated in blue and sometimes yellow and orange. So a few more examples. Um, so for the world of the dead and the world of the living, you know, once we do a pass for the character design, there's still so much to think about in terms of, you know, clothing, shading, and grooming, and everything. So this is a concept sheet, sheet that I did for some of the characters in the world of the living, specifically for the opening sequence that you watched. And, you know, for this case, the challenge is, like, when you're working with a crowd, you have to make sure that all the designs read, even if you don't see their faces, but their silhouettes have to be really clear and like read from far away. So I tried to, um, you know, mess around with their hairstyles and this was like based in the 1930s. So I tried playing around with like hats and flowers and like overall big shapes uh, for their hair and their costumes as well. So this is an example of my research compa uh, compressed into a file. So usually I have tons and tons of images and later I show them to my art director or my production designer and we choose the ones that we think would work best for the film. So in the end, you know, out of about like 100 images or so, we end up choosing just a few, um, and sometimes less than that, because uh, for clarity, it's always better to have less, especially for the modelers and like everyone in technical, it's better to always have, you know, a clear example of what they're gonna do. And for the VG character specifically, we didn't have a lot to work for, I mean to work with, but for a lot of Pixar films, we usually, you know, borrow and, and take characters from other films. Like, you know, for Inside Out, we wanted to borrow some of their characters uh, from the ones that they designed for background characters. But we we didn't because Mexican characters have, you know, or Mexican people just have such different, like, features that we couldn't do that because they w we didn't want them to look generic. So everything that we designed for this film, we designed from scratch. And, you know, uh, people are very different from our, like, Regular humans were so different from our uh, our skeleton characters. So our land of the, de of the dead is also populated with a dizzying array of skeleton characters. So we did a lot of work because it's like basically designing two entirely different worlds. Um, and our animators had a blast animating the skeletons and finding unique ways to bring them to life as these early tests show. So they had a lot of fun. Um, our land of the dead is also inhabited by fantastical alebrijes, and they're colorful creatures inspired by Mexican folk art. And alebrije artists use, you know, we uh, we went down to Mexico to take an alebrije workshop, 
and the artist used literally one brush with one hair and he said he did, he wouldn't breathe for like a minute or two whenever he painted just because he has to have a really steady hand and that was very scary to point out <laughs> and this is Pepita who's one of our main alebrijes in Coco And what these early animation tests don't show is that when the lights go down, the alebrijes glow magically. So soon after crossing over to the land of the dead, Miguel unexpectedly bumps into his own ancestors. And the most outspoken is Mama Imelda, who's Miguel's great-great-grandmother. And as you learned at the top of the film, she's the matriarch of the Rivera family. So the family's ban on music comes from her and has trickled down through the generations. Um, so Miguel, Miguel's family is just as confused as to why he's there. So hoping to sort things out, they take him to the Department of Family Reunions and you know try to sort out the mess. So let's watch that clip.
So Miguel gives his family the slip and he totally ignores him and heads off in search of the one person he believes will give him the blessing that he needs, his great-great-grandfather, Ernesto de la Cruz. Um, but in the chaos of his escape, Miguel runs into a skeleton named Hector, um, who's a very nice, likable trickster who proves to be a very important companion on Miguel's journey. So here are a few animation, te animation tests that the animators did of uh, Hector and Miguel. So Hector claims to know Ernesto de la Cruz, and the two of them strike a deal. Hector promises to find Miguel. Um, Hector promises Miguel to find Ernesto de la Cruz, so Miguel can get his blessing and return home. But in return, Miguel promises to take a photo of Hector back to the land of the living and place it on an ofrenda so that Hector can finally cross the bridge over to the land of the living, something he's never been able to do. So Miguel, Hector, and Dante set off on a great adventure, making their way through the land of the dead. Um, but time is running out. Miguel only has until the end of the night to get back home before he himself turns into a skeleton. So as you can see, you know, Coco is set in a colorful world filled with music, celebration, and it's very fun, and it's a super cool film, and it was, a, you know, it was such a pleasure working on it, and I feel like I put so much of myself working on it. Um, and another crazy coincidence about it was like once I was working on the film, they wanted uh, Miguel's family to be shoemakers, and my dad's a shoemaker in Mexico too. So that was really weird. <laughs> but then like my, da my dad got to like send a lot of reference and like he was super pumped to be part of the project too because <laughs> we kept bugging him for videos and reference. So he was very excited. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for all of you to see Coco and I really hope that you like it. And um, one last thing, uh, I wanted to share another clip with you and this is the last clip. Um, so to set the scene at one point, Miguel and Edgar find themselves part of a talent show. Um, while Miguel's family, with the help of Pepita, continue to search for him.
that's what I've got to share with you today. Thank you all so much for coming. And um, there's a lot of people from the Art Institute working at Pixar right now. So a lot of them are my really good friends. So I hope you all apply for the summer internships. It's a really cool place to work at. Yeah. Thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> is very scary I agree um, I don't really know I think I just like kept at it because something inside was like I don't want to start over like I don't want to try to find something else to do because I know this is what I enjoy doing the most you know so it's it's a thing of like um, I was just telling I was just talking to someone about this and it's like I feel like the people who like get rejected ten times and then give up are the people who are like oh like I wish I could have done this, but I had to find another path. Whereas the people who like get rejected 10, 20, 30 times and are still there, who like, you know, are able to do it. So I think you just like have to keep at it. You like you really just have to keep working towards it. And like honestly, I feel like I found out way after I got hired that like they do remember when you apply and like they remember your name and if they see progress, they take that into consideration. And I feel like that's how I got into school too. <laughs> Like, they just remembered me because I, like, didn't get in the first time either. So, I've, you know, it's my story is all rejections. <laughs> it's just, like, being really stubborn. But I feel like you just have to, like, keep studying and, like, keep, you know, drawing and, like, keep get getting better at it. And I feel like practice is all you need because I feel like talent's, like, such a small percentage. You know, it's, like, very important, but someone who's very talented and doesn't practice is not going to get better. But if you have that, you know, 10% of talent, then, like, everything else is just practice and like doing it every day and like you know doing research and looking at different artists and like taking all that inspiration and make something that's your own and I also feel like what really helped me was that you know before I was trying to like recreate all these different styles of drawing like oh if I want to apply for Steven Universe I should draw the Steven Universe and in many cases yes that's true but I feel for features specifically um, and sometimes for TV too like they, if they already have an artist that's doing something specific, they don't want the same. Like they want to find a new voice and like a new fresh, you know, take on things. So like that's why you should always draw from your own experience and like draw from what inspires you and what you know makes you happy and like what you want to do. And I feel like if I hadn't realized that like before my last year of college and like if I hadn't done that, maybe I wouldn't have even gotten my internship because it's not until I did that and I'm like. I'm just going to draw from what inspires me and that's like traveling like I love learning about other cultures and stuff so that really helped. We also need more representation. So drawing from other cultures like you know is awesome cuz like we need to see more of that and like just like from people's experiences and stuff like so how you deal with it I would say it be oblivious. <laughs> I was very oblivious so it's like brush it off and just keep doing what you're doing and don't think about how hard it is or like how your competition is because that doesn't matter it's all about you
Um, so Coco is going to be a musical before. Well, it, it has a lot of music in it, but it's not a musical. And the main character used to be a girl. So the little girl, her name was Coco. But then Inside Out came out, and you know Riley's the main character, and she's a girl. And then there's other films in the making who have like girl woman characters. So um, I think they they just wanted variation. So then we ended up going, you know, for a, a male character, and then changed his name, and then came up with uh, we, we we try to come up with titles for the movie, but we just like really like Coco because at Pixar we have two names for the films, so that when we're early on, you know, in development people don't know what we're talking about just in case someone over here is talking like at a cafe to a friend who works at Pixar and Coco was our key name but it just kind of stuck and then like nothing else seemed right and then we ended up uh, naming Mama Coco Coco so then you know she's still a main character so we just kind of like the way that that sounded and we kept So there's a lot of ways, you know, people at Pixar come from like all different backgrounds. A lot of them, like one, someone who's a director there went to school for chemistry, but he always loved drawing and he didn't even go to school for drawing or film. He just like made a portfolio and applied and got <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, so like people come from all over, like you don't have to have an animation degree. It's all about your portfolio. Um, so ways he can learn without going to school for it, I would say like, use uh, the internet like you can learn everything there and there's like you know animation mentor where like a lot of people from Pixar Disney and like a lot of cool studios like Sony and DreamWorks and stuff teach there's Scholastic and they offer classes there too for like visual development and storytelling and animation and film um, and I think just doing it you know like you kind of learn from just doing things like if you do something and it doesn't work out then you're like oh I, I know not to do that again <laughs> um, but I think it's just practice and you know, take advantage of the internet because it's a great platform to like showcase your work but also to learn from everyone who's posting work and like, you know, putting free education out there. So I would say take advantage of that and just do it. I think something that I've seen in portfolios is that sometimes like uh, people will just have like the, the prettiest drawings they've done and that's really cool but it doesn't stand out because even though your art is very beautiful I think something that's very important is to have something that's cohesive so for example like I think for my portfolio I did like countries around the world and then I would create a little story you know about that and then develop that so it's like, it depends on what you want to do, but I feel like for story art and animation, it's always cool to like come up with a story and then develop it. So then if you have a story art merch portfolio, then you storyboard 
what your story is and then create the characters and the sets and the props for it based on that story so that they're like so that they know what they're looking at instead of just like oh these sketches they're all so pretty but what do they mean you know because they want to know that you're creative and you're not just getting it out of somewhere or like you you know like it's cool when you're like this is what I did because of this you know so it's always like a why and how for for all those things that you're designing so I would say like coming up with a little story is really cool because then everything makes sense and it makes it more enjoyable and you're kind of discovering the story as you like look at it yeah so I feel like that would make it a lot stronger yeah There is this woman there who, she's a production designer now, and she's the first woman production designer at Pixar. Her name is Daniela Strushleva, and she's like crazy talented. But she also has a baby, and like she's married, and she's like juggling so many things in her life. So I think one day I was like sad and like complaining, like, eh, like I have so much work, but like that's all I have to do in my life, you know, <laughs> right now. And then she like came by and like talked to me and like gave me advice that was just like, don't complain you know there's like so many people dealing with so many more things and like this it's awesome that you have a job and like you should just like embrace that and like it you know feel good about yourself for for having this and like give as much as you can you know so it was just that that talk was more about life and art but then it's like that's true like what am I complaining about you know like I feel also like in art I was discouraged that day because I had a review and I used to be like so, so sensitive about showing my artwork and I like felt very self-conscious about like how people perceived it and like oh it's not very technically good and they're probably going to be looking at that hand that's like weird you know um, but then like she's like no it's like all about expression it's all about like whether it reads or not like we don't care about like amazing technical drawings we care about clarity and that we can read you're like what you're trying to say with these drawings right so then she's like you know the the longer that you're here the more you realize that this is ultimately just a job like this is what you do for a living but it's not who it's not what defines you so like she also told me like you should keep making uh art on your on the side and in your free time because that is what that is who you are you know because ultimately at the job they're going to give you notes and you might not agree sometimes and you might be like but I love this you know like I don't want it to get canned and so many designs will get canned and like it's fine because we're doing ultimately what's best for the film and not what's best for us because we're part of like this big machine right so she was like just try to like not get too caught up on that because if you want to like do art that you like then just do that in your free time and like don't complain because this is a job and like they don't say it personally because I'm sure they love you and like they want to keep you here but it's not about you it's about what's best for the film so like try to not think about it and just like keep at it and like try to like collaborate better with people and communicate better so that this happens less often but even if it does it's fine you know because like 
it doesn't define me. So that was a great advice that I got from her, I think. And then just like a lot of people just with tons of different backgrounds, like Matt Nolte, a character designer, he's just like such a nice guy. So all his advice is like, just work hard and be kind. And like the animation industry is so small that like you want to have a healthy, you know, relationship with your peers and like be supportive because you have no idea how likely it is for you to run into someone in like two or three years and they'll be your boss or the other way around. So it's like always be really kind to everyone around you and like work really hard and like I said, be oblivious a little bit, you know, it's like about you. And if someone else gets something before you, then that's great for them, you know, it's like you'll get your You kind of learn to not be precious about your work, honestly, like over time. Because I used to avoid showing work as long as I could. And I kept asking my manager, like, can I show tomorrow? Can I show tomorrow? Just because, like, I didn't feel satisfied with what I had at the time. Um, but, like, the pipeline keeps moving along and you're just slowly. <laughs> so then I just, like, had to learn to, like, not be precious and just do the things that mattered. You know, it's like they're asking for shading and they just want to know what her skin's going to look like. So I'm like, okay, I want her skin to like have freckles, have wrinkles, and her hair to be frizzy. And that's the most important thing. So then everything else around that is like just, you know, an extra, but that's what I want to communicate first to like the shader who's going to be working on it. And that's what I do first. And I try to be like good with my time management because I'm really bad, like with time management. So I learned to be very good. I'm not very good, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. <laughs> and like I try to, you know, if I like don't finish by six, I of course like try to stay late because I spend too long like walking around, like, you know, saying hi to people. So then like, I just like try to keep that in mind. Like people are waiting for this and we do get deadlines at work. Like they tell us when we have to deliver stuff. So you can like use your time however you want, but it's always better to start first and show as often as you can. Because if you don't show right away, your art director might be like, actually, like, that doesn't look good. And then you have, like, an hour to change it, you know? So the more you show, the better, because they see progress faster and you get notes faster in case they change their minds or something. But, yeah, it's all about time management and not being precious about it. Just, like, doing what, what's most important to your assignment, I guess. Yeah. Oh, this is a poster. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it depends from, it varies from assignment to assignment. Like, the bigger set that I showed you, that was p the talent show uh, set with all the signs and, like, the graphic design and stuff, that took about a month. Because that was a lot of stuff that I did within that. Like, I, I uh, helped design the stage, and I did a lot of the buildings in that set, and, like, uh, color and I did you know like a shading pass so I had to paint all of that and then you know murals and signs and like billboards so like that took about a month because I was new to it so I think they gave me a little bit longer 
but it would usually take someone else like maybe three weeks or two weeks. There's some people that are really fast and like I don't get it, but like you know, they probably just like have a lot of practice and a lot of them draw stuff by hand. And there's this guy called Christian Aurelius, and he's like <laughs> an alien. <laughs> he just like draws like he he doesn't even look at reference and he just uses a ruler and like he knows exactly what he's designing and I'm like I couldn't do that you know like to each their own like <laughs> so I, I try also to be like oh that's awesome I hope to be like that one day but I'm not there yet so I don't put a lot of pressure on myself anymore and like I go at my own pace keeping in mind the deadline but yeah something like that takes about you know took me a month but then all the other graphics took me like a day or two because it comes more naturally to me just like painting by hand and doing patterns and stuff so that's fast for me but then maybe for someone else that would take longer so it just it just depends and like for character design it usually takes about two weeks like you'll do a pass and then uh you show it in review like the week after or three days later it also depends on how many reviews you're getting a week so the director will meet with us once a week or twice or three times a week it depends on how interested they're seeing they're in seeing the next design so then um yeah i would say average every assignment is like you know two weeks two or three weeks yeah but it takes about like you know a day or two to do the first pass and then like you just keep adding I wake up at 9, get to work at 9.15, so I just like get up and put my clothes and I'm like, here I am, new day. Um, I live really close to work and I'm really bad to like at waking up. <laughs> um, a lot of people wake up like at 6 and do Tai Chi at work and stuff, and like, I'm like, how, how do you do it? It's great. Um, so yeah, I get there around 9.15, 9.30, um, I get coffee or breakfast, and then I go to my desk and check my emails, and if there's like urgent emails, I do that first, and then like send them whatever they need, um, and then usually like we, we get assignments on Fridays or Mondays, so it's either at the end of the, or the beginning of the week, so then they tell us like, you know, the, the director and the production designer and our art manager work together uh, on assignments, so after a pitch, they'll know what they're going to give me. So then they'll be like, the, we decided to give you this character or like this set. So you have like, you know, your deadline is in three weeks or whatever. So then I get a model if there is one. And if there isn't one, then I just get the name of the assignment and like the specifications. So then I'll do research. Uh, one day, some days it's like all about research. And all I do is look for photos. Like that's all I do all day. And like go to meetings and reply to emails. Some days I just draw, like if what I'm doing is like concept stuff, then I just like go to my drafting table and like draw for like a whole day. And sometimes I do a little bit of everything if it's like really, really crazy. Um, and sometimes I just like sit on my computer and do like, you know, model packets or just like shading on Photoshop and like look at renders and stuff like that. Um, and then I go home sometimes, most days I go home around seven so we get out at 6, but I leave around 7 because I get there a little later. And when there's a lot of work, I stay as late as like 1 a.m. or 10. Like, it just depends on how busy we are. On Coco, we stayed, I stayed late all the time. 
especially my first year. Like, I just wanted to, like, prove myself and be, like, hard worker, you know? So I would stay really late and work weekends, but that was my choice. No one asked me to do that. Like, that was just, like, me wanting to, like, go the extra mile. But then, like, now in my new project, uh, I'm in a new movie. So, like, that one's way more relaxed because it's, like, very early on. We're trying to figure out the story and the character. So, like, I get there, like, at 9.30 and leave by 5.30 because there's not that much to do. So it just depends on, on your assignment and the show. In Europe, I went to the school called uh, Esma Montpellier. It was in Montpellier, so like the south of France. It was like a very small school, like no one really knew about it. It was very tiny, uh, but it was really cool, and I really loved it. And it was hard to uh, adjust. Cause, uh, so I went to a trilingual school in Mexico, but it's very different to learn a language in school and then go to that country because you're like, oh, this is not what I learned. <laughs> you know, it just sounds so different. Uh, so it took me about three to four months to start understanding what they wanted me to do. <laughs> Before that, I would just like play it by ear, <laughs> like do what I like thought I understood. Um, so it was very hard, but I don't think it like affected my opportunities besides like the language barrier because I always tried to just like you know keep track of things and stuff. And like same when I moved to the U.S., like my English is still not that good, but when I moved here, like my English was like worse. So then I would often not understand things and I'd just be like, oh, what are they saying? Um, I would say like what has kind of affected some of my opportunities has been not having a green card because I'm on a work visa and back then I was on a student visa. So when you apply for jobs, no one wants to hire you. Sometimes because you're not, or I wasn't good, <laughs> but sometimes because they don't want to sponsor you. So in that way, I felt like that was like a very, very negative thing for me. But, you know, some studios are awesome about it. Like, I feel like Cartoon Network's really good about it. Disney, all of Disney is very good about it. Like, Pixar's great, you know, about it. So some studios don't care, but some do. And it's the ones that do that I'm like, oh, that's that sucks. Because, like, you know, these people can apply to those studios because they need a visa. And, you know, it's expensive for a studio. So... In that case, I think it did, but like language-wise and stuff, not so much, because I think it's more about your portfolio and your work than like whether you can communicate with words, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a few people at Pixar who don't speak, like, who speak very little English and they still work there because their work says, it, says everything. So I think marketing for like toys and stuff starts working with the film very early on. Like, you know, after like, once we go into production, like our first year of production, they sit in our meetings and stuff just to like, kind of keep track of what characters will stay, which ones will go, because those characters will be made into toys maybe, you know, or like there will be stuff made out of them. But uh, I would say most, you know, mostly like the last year, film that's when they start really planning everything so yeah yeah post-production yeah because that's when they know like exactly what's on the film because they might make merchandise for someone that might get canned you know so that's like 
risky, so it's always like the last year once it's like, this is the story and it's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Yeah.